three summers ago, my 15th wedding anniversary was approaching. And as those wedding anniversaries start accumulating and you get past 10 and you get closer to 15, the expectation of your wife kind of grows in the amount of money and the amount of romance that you're going to plan for these anniversaries. Any of you men say amen to that? Well, I knew I needed to pay extra special attention to the 15th to make sure that I made that a memorable anniversary. So I was listening to Stephanie for any clues that she may give me as to what she was expecting. And she mentioned a hotel that we had stayed at in Nashville several years before that. It was a four-star hotel that was a really nice hotel. I mean, it had atriums and walking areas where you could walk through indoor gardens. And it even had a, a river that ran through the atriums there where you could take a little boat ride. And it was real romantic. And I was thinking, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pack up the kids. I'm going to call my mom. We're going to drive to Alabama, leave the kids there. And then we're going to go spend a few days in the hotel, that four-star hotel in Nashville. Well, I got on the internet. I made sure my mom had the dates available. And I got on the internet and, and I was looking for the deals like I'd gotten the time before we had stayed. And I was having trouble because there was so much activity at the hotel that week. They had the Chinese acrobats there who were just there in the atrium doing all kind of stuff. And they had music shows. And, and it was a prime time for folks to want a four-star room at that hotel. And I couldn't get anywhere below the list price. So I got frustrated, but I said, there's got to be another way. There's always a plan B. Hotwire.com. Hotwire.com is a site where you can put in a star rating in a geographic area, and they'll sell you rooms and hotels without telling you the name of the hotel or exactly which hotel it is. You're way ahead of me on this. I've had good experience with hotwire.com over the years, never for an anniversary though. Well, I got on the internet and my sister lives in Nashville and I thought, surely there's a nice hotel, maybe two and a half star, three star. We could spend the night in that hotel and then we could drive over to the four star hotel and enjoy all the activities in the atrium and the gardens and everything. Sounded like a brilliant plan. So I got on the internet and there were some amazing deals. Two and a half star hotel, all sweets, continental breakfast, and the clincher that let me know this was going to be a great hotel. Free wireless high-speed internet. I mean, it had to be a hotel that we could survive in while we were driving back and forth to the other hotel. Well, as all transactions are on Hotwire, they won't show you the name or the exact location of the hotel until your credit card is processed. So I got my credit card out, and I, in this leap of faith, filled out the application to, you know, get the room and everything. I hit submit and immediately the name of the hotel popped up and I had this sinking feeling in my stomach that I might have done the wrong thing. Well, I ensured Stephanie that the plans were going great. We were going to have a great 15th anniversary and the day came where we drove to Alabama. We got to Alabama, dropped the kids off. The next morning we headed out and we headed to Nashville and about the time we got to the exit of the hotel that we were going to be staying in, that sinking feeling started coming back. Well, as I saw the hotel, I, I continued to look back and forth at Stephanie and I was trying to make eye contact with her to make sure it was okay and that the expectations were going okay. And we get there and the lobby looks pretty good. I, I, you go in the lobby and I'm saying, this, this, this could work. We could make this work. They had renovated their lobby. 
And so we got in the lobby and we checked in and this was supposed to be a hotel, but it was actually a motel, meaning that all the rooms opened out into the parking lot. There were no in interior hallways or anything. That gives you a perspective of where we're going with this. Well, we drove the car around and I found the room and I go to walk up to the door and the door's already open to our room. You see, it looks like the lock has been busted. It's not closing properly. And it was June. It was June in Nashville on a summer day. And as I walked in the room, it was well over 80 degrees in the room that we had been assigned to. And I immediately had a retro moment as I looked at those light fixtures from the early 1970s and the carpet, the shag carpet and the original bedspread that probably was there when they opened. And as we walked through the room, our feet started sticking to the carpet. And I knew at that moment there was only one thing left for me to do. I told Stephanie to stay at the desk there in the room. I went to the, the car and I got my laptop and I went back to the desk there and I opened it up and I connected to that free high-speed internet that they had. And I found the hotel number for that four-star hotel and we spent our 15th anniversary in the hotel I thought I couldn't afford. <laughs> expectations. We're going to talk about expectations today because we live in a world and we're people who expect things. You know, you talk about expectation in marriage. We have expectations of our spouses. We have expectations of our kids. We have expectations in our job. We even have expectations of what God will do in our life. What are you expecting from God this morning? How do you view his role in your life? And, and what do you expect him to really do? I, I've seen a, a, the gamut of people, people all the way to this side, to this extreme, that they feel like whatever I ask of God, he's like a genie in the bottle and he's gonna give me whatever my whim is that I'm asking for today. And they hold to that and they believe that. And then over on the other side, there's a whole other group of people. And they've accepted Christ as Savior. They understand that, that Christ came and he offered that sacrifice for their salvation. But after salvation, they feel like life is up to them. That God really isn't interacting. That God really isn't trying to be a part of their life or to be a difference maker. And there's no real expectation. Whatever they become, they feel like they're self-made. And it's amazing to me when I look at the Bible and I even see the disciples that were walking around with Jesus as he was ministering. They were just as confused and just as messed up in their expectations of the Messiah as we are today sometimes. I look at James and John in Mark chapter 10. And James and John have just been with Jesus with the other 12 disciples. And they're, they're talking and Jesus is giving one of the most profound disclosures of what is about to happen to him. How he's going to die and he's going to be crucified and resurrected. And what the meaning of that is. And they have this conversation and they immediately walk away from that. And they're walking down a road and all the 12 disciples are there. And, and obviously James and John, they've already had a different conversation going on. They had some other concerns unrelated to what Jesus had been talking about. And, and they want to talk to Jesus. They get him off to the side and James and John are walking along with Jesus. And, and they set him up with a statement. They set him up. They say, whatever we ask you to do, we want you to do. Now that is an expectation. It's right out of Mark chapter 10. James and John were asking the Messiah, whatever we want you to do, we want you to do. Whatever we ask you to do, we want you to do. They wanted a genie in the bottle. And Jesus goes along with it. And Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do? 
And they immediately start telling him, you know, we want the seats of prominence. When you come into this new kingdom, we want to be on your left side and on your right side, and we want to reign with you. And Jesus gives them the answer to that question, which was obvious that they would not be the ones doing that. The other disciples hear that they've asked this question, and they get indignant, probably because they want to ask for the same thing in that new kingdom. Expectations. Left to ourselves... Our expectations of God become very self-serving and often even destructive in our own life. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that some of the whims and the requests that I've thrown at God over my lifetime haven't all been answered by him. Many of you have heard me talk in some other sermons about a, a pet monkey that my brother and I had in Africa, in Uganda, East Africa, when we were missionaries. His name was Muck Muck. And Muck Muck uh, was a prodigal monkey. You've heard me talk about his prodigal story, but he had some other things. He's always a great sermon illustration because he always did stuff that was memorable. And Muck Muck loved jawbreakers. My brother and I were young, and we would get jawbreakers from time to time. We'd get them mailed to us from the States, and, and we would enjoy those jawbreakers, and Monk Monk would be right there with us eating those jawbreakers. The trouble was that Monk Monk didn't know the difference between a jawbreaker and a marble. And my brother and I loved to play with marbles, and my mom and dad would have to tell us, be sure before you finish playing that you put away all the marbles, because if Monk Monk gets in there, we're in trouble. And sure enough, a few times in the couple of years that we were there with the monkey, he would get into the house, he would get into the room where the marbles were, and he wouldn't just take one like it was one jawbreaker, but he would get handfuls and jam them in his jaw, thinking that he had found the mother load. And my dad and my mom would have to take him, and my dad would pry open his jaws, and they'd have to take out one marble at a time until they saved him from choking on him. The interesting thing is that many of us are like muck muck in our expectations of God. We think things may look good that often would be harmful to us. And often the things that look harmful are sometimes things that God is working on for our good. I'm thankful that we don't have a God who acts like a genie in the bottle. But we have a God who is much more mature than that and more directive in what he's doing in our life. Then there's the other people who don't really expect anything from God. They just live their life and they make their decisions and they, they think that whatever happens is a result of what they've done and they don't really invite any expectation, don't even invite the conversation of what God might do in their life. It reminds me of a story of a friend of mine in Northern Virginia. He, he six years ago, when high-definition TVs were coming out, he just really wanted one, and he saved up some money, and, and he was a frugal guy. He wasn't a guy who really spent on things like that, but he got to a place where he had enough money to buy his high-definition TV, and, and so he borrowed a friend's truck, and he drove to the Circuit City where the model was that he was looking for, and the price was that he had matched, and, and he got there, and he made the selection, and he was talking to the sales associate, and the sales associate uh, went to the checkout process and was giving him all the warranties and things he could have. And he invited him in, in, in the process of checking out. He said, we can also do home delivery for you today for an, a nominal fee. We can even set it up for you and things like that. And my friend smugly told him that he had prepared already and that he had uh, a friend's pickup that he was going to use to take it home. So he was ready just to check out and get it loaded on his truck and he was going to go enjoy his TV that night. 
Well, he uh, went to the customer pickup area, and the sales associate loaded the, the TV on the back of the pickup and, and, and noticed, the sales associate noticed that, that my friend didn't bring any tie-downs or any ropes or anything like that to tie the, the, the TV into the back of the pickup. And he offered to go find some rope for him, and my friend looked at the situation, he saw the box, and he saw the pickup, and, and, he, and he passed. He said, I, I don't think I need it. I think we'll be fine. I'm just going about 20 miles down the interstate, and, uh, and I should be good. So he got in his truck, and he was going down I-95, which is a very busy interstate that connects all of northern Virginia up into the D.C. metro area. And he was going down, and sure enough, about halfway home, he hit some traffic, and there was some uh, disturbance in front of him with cars shifting lanes, and he had to make a sudden jerk with his vehicle. And he looked back in his rearview mirror just in time to see the box falling out of the back of the pickup. His TV was in the middle of I-95 on the interstate. Well, by then, his adrenaline was pumping, but he couldn't really stop and back up. This isn't the kind of road where you do that. He had to go to the next exit and come back and loop around, and he was hoping, just hoping, that that box was going to still be there and that it hadn't been smashed to smithereens by the cars that were going around. Well, he made his way back, and he found, he pulled to the side of the road, and he found that the box was still intact, and he drug it to the side of the road. And he, he checked it out, and he was trying to figure out what to do. He, he wasn't sure where exactly the next step was in this process. This wasn't an expected thing that had happened. So he opened the, the box, and he started looking, and he, he could tell that the screen was still intact. And he thought, you know, I'll just make the best of this. I'm going to put it back in my pickup. I'm going to drive home, and we'll just see what we have when we get home, and we'll try to figure this out. So he drug it back onto the truck, and he got on his cell phone to his wife, and he was telling the sob story to his wife of, of how the, the, the TV had fallen out of the back of the truck, and he made his way home those last 10 miles, and his wife knew he was distraught, knew how big of a purchase it had been, and she was waiting in the driveway. And he pulled up in the truck, and, and she had a puzzled look on her face. And, and, and he was looking at her, and he got out of the truck, and she looked at him, and she said, where's the TV? And he looked back at the truck, and he realized the TV had fallen out a second time. Well, they got back in the truck, and they looked for hours. They were unable to find the box or any remnants of it. So they decided to go to Circuit City and ask the sales associate if there was some special, my TV fell out of my pickup truck, I get a new TV. <laughs> Just so you know, Circuit City's not in business anymore, but if they did that, they, that's probably why they went out of business. He went back and he found that sales associate and he started telling his story and he was hoping for compassion and, and grace and, and some, kind of, some kind of restitution for it. And the sales associate heard a couple of phrases and started inviting all the sales associates over. You see, they were getting a good laugh out of this guy's misfortune. But it's interesting to me that just like that TV was unsecured and it traveled and didn't make it to its destination, my friend ended up with a remote control, a receipt, and part of the owner's manual to show for that purchase. But just... As he traveled, our expectations and our faith journey, if we don't pay attention and we don't cultivate the gift of faith that has been given to us, is just like that precious cargo that he ignored and just assumed would be there and would be a part of his life. And I think a lot of people who are in that extreme where they don't think God's really going to do anything, don't expect anything from God, they end up in a position at the end of their life where they've lived a small life. 
where they've lived a life that was a lot smaller than God intended. And they don't really have a growing and dynamic faith that's full of the expectation of what God could have done in their life. As I was thinking about this talk today and and the the verses and the thoughts that were coming to me, I, I was drawn to another New Testament character, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And you guys know John the Baptist. He was the guy who wore strange clothes and he ate... He ate honey and locusts, and he hung out way out in the wilderness, and he was a fire and brimstone preacher who was always just telling people to repent and teaching baptism. And there's one day he's having a baptism service at the Jordan River, and he recognizes that Jesus has shown up, and he immediately calls out, the Lamb of God sent for the salvation of the world. And then he sees the spirit descend on Jesus and it confirms publicly that Jesus is the Messiah. And John's ministry continues and John goes off and continues with his disciples ministering and preaching repentance and baptism. And and Jesus starts his ministry after that baptism and and they hear and they get reports back and forth from the disciples of what's going on in their ministries. And and John, shortly after that, ends up in in an argument with King Herod. You see, King Herod had married his brother's wife. And he'd gotten in a situation where John called him on the carpet and talked about the immorality and the illegality of what he had done. And Herod throws him in prison. And John spends several months in prison and his disciples continue to give him reports of what Jesus is doing, of what the Messiah is doing. And, and John has something interesting happen in those months when he's in prison. See, John gets to a place where doubt creeps in. He had some expectations of what Jesus was going to do in his ministry. He had expected maybe that Jesus was going to be a preacher like him, a fire and brimstone, that he was going to go around and and, and do the same kinds of repentance talks that he had done. But he's hearing reports that, that Jesus is speaking about grace and mercy. And Jesus is hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. He hasn't separated himself out in the wilderness. And John is confused. His expectations of who the Messiah was going to be have led him to doubt. Let's pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew chapter 11. It's in another place in the Gospels as well, but we'll have the words on the screen as well. But in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, it's the main text this morning that we'll be looking at. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The interesting verse that stuck out to me as I was processing this and meditating on it. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Jesus could have answered that straight up. He could have said, I'm the one. It's good. Go back and tell John. It's all good. But faith is tested in the fires of life. And there's a book I've been reading these last few weeks. It's called Faith and Doubt. And it's written by John Ortberg. It's a new book that's just come out. 
And he discusses three convictions that he finds in people's lives as he talks about faith and doubt. And I encourage you, if you have some interest in going into the subject a little deeper, you may want to go to one of the Christian bookstores or one of the bookstores in town and find that book and continue reading on the subject. But he talks about three kinds of convictions that we hold in our life. There's a public conviction, what we say we believe. There's a private conviction, what we think we believe internally. And then there's a core conviction of how we actually live out our faith. John was trying to make sense out of this. He'd been thrown in prison. He knew the ramifications of what he had done to King Herod and that it might be the end of his life. And John had made a public conviction, a public statement that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And John was wanting with everything within him to believe privately that that was the Messiah. But when it came down to the life or death situation that he was in, John was experiencing some doubt. I think we can learn a lot from John this morning as we look at where he was and we look at expectations and what is the right way to approach expectations with God. Because I don't believe that that God is that genie who answers any whim that we have. And I don't believe that God is the, the guy who, who sets stuff in motion and then doesn't come back and check on us or have any expectation to be involved in our life. But I believe that there's a place for expectations for God. And the first thing I noticed as I looked at this passage is, and I thought about the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, the first thing I noticed was that God encourages us to have expectations of him. Jesus didn't tell John, don't expect anything from me. But he points to the activity of the Messiah and how it fulfilled the expectations of the Old Testament prophets. He reordered the expectations of John. He talked about the lame walking, the blind seeing, and the dead being raised from the dead. And as I look at other scriptures, Jesus is clear in his teaching as he went throughout teaching those three years. He's clear that we're to ask and expect things from him and from the Father. In Matthew chapter 7, we've, we sang a song that had part of the words from these verses. Lord, I seek you. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Let's just read part of that passage there. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? Ask, seek, and knock. Trouble is that too often many of us in our Christian walk stop asking, seeking, and knocking for anything from God. What I notice in the New Testament as I look at the stories that Jesus had unfold in his life and the people he came in contact with, it was the people who came with an expectation, who came with a level of faith that he was actually going to do something in their life, who walked away with the miracles in the New Testament. Whether it be the Roman centurion, the woman who was convinced if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, they were coming expecting that the Messiah was their healer. It's interesting to me in Mark chapter 10 where we talked about James and John and what was going on with them in their conversation and their request of God. 
they immediately walk into another situation where there's another guy asking something from God and it's blind Bartimaeus and they've walked away from that conversation and they've made their way across and and blind Bartimaeus is calling out and asking God to have mercy and asking the Messiah to have mercy on him and the crowd's trying to quiet him and Jesus moves over to him and, and gets there by blind Bartimaeus and he asks the same question that he asked of James and John what do you want me to do? And he says, I want to see. And Jesus heals him and says his faith has made him whole. The same question in a different response because of the heart and the faith and the expectation and the alignment with what God was going to do in the life of blind Bartimaeus. He's asking that question of us today in this room. What do you want me to do? The question isn't whether he wants to be involved. The question is, what are you believing that God is going to do in your life? I've been going to ORU basketball games for the last 20 years, and it's interesting to me that on the baselines of either end of the maybe center court where the basketball team plays, they've got a phrase there that says, expect a miracle. For a lot of those years that I was there as a student, we really had to expect a miracle if the team was going to win. But my question for you today is, did you come to church today? Did you live your life this week expecting a miracle from God? What? are you asking him to do in your life? You know, God's concerned even about the little things in our life. Pastor Jason was on vacation and invariably when he goes on vacation, we end up with some computer issues that just pop up. And he came back and, and Pastor Jeff let him know that the week he was gone, the, uh, the computer in the kids' ink room where our kids worship and they have their, their projection and everything in there, it had basically fried the motherboard. There was some kind of surge problem and it looked like the computer was a total loss. So Jason uh, is our most technologically, technologically advanced person on staff and he's, he's tasked with that. And he got in there and he was looking at it and he was trying to figure out if... Uh, if he was going to be able to salvage the computer or fix it, it wasn't powering on. It wasn't doing anything. And so he took it apart, and he was taking the parts out and looking where it may have fried. And he called the Dell tech support, and he was working with the computer. And he finally got to a place of frustration. It was going to be a $1,000 replacement. And he just got to a place of frustration, and he just decided to do something he does occasionally. He put his hand on the computer, and he prayed for it. And he plugged it in one more time. And it powered on, and they're using it in the sanctuary up there today. God is concerned about even inanimate objects in your life, and he wants you to expect the unexpected in your daily activities. There's another thing I've noticed about expectations. Expectations rise when we remember the God moments in our life. Expectations rise when we remember the God moments. It's interesting to me on Wednesday nights, our senior adults have a service here in the hospitality center. And we have a time, every time they come together, they'll sing a, a hymn or two, and then there's a moment in time that they call their testimony time. And one after one, there's usually more than three or four each week, they'll stand up and they'll say what God has done in their life this week. And it's amazing to me that faith builds when we remember what God has done in our life. But I think we have a, a flaw 
in our lives. And it's not something that just developed in this generation or the generation before. It goes way back to the Israelites and before. There's a problem with us because God will do these amazing things in our life and we'll forget and we won't remember what he's done in our life. And so one of the things I would say to you today as you're listening to this, I, I, I want you to pull up those things that God has done in your life. Start rehearsing those in your mind, even this morning. In the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to have a prayer time. We've, we've held the prayer time to the end so that we can come expecting that God's going to do some amazing things. But I also encourage you to get a piece of notebook paper out or get on your computer and start writing down and chronicling all the things that God has done and is doing in your life. And get your kids and your friends and those that want to talk about it together and start remembering and start processing and allowing that expectation to grow. And then when you're done with that, take a moment and start dreaming and start praying for those things that you want God to do in the future. And I guarantee you that your faith will rise and your expectancy will rise as you do that. God is a good God and he wants to give you good things in your life. Third thing I noticed in that passage, it's the last verse in that Matthew 11 passage we're looking at, is that God blesses us when we trust him in times of unrealized expectation. It's in that place between miracles that God often does the most profound and deep work in our life. If you look at that passage where John is there and he's asked that question, Jesus says, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. He's saying, just because your expectations weren't exactly what I'm doing, if you'll hold on, John, if you'll push back that doubt and you'll look deep, into who I am and what I'm doing, there'll be a blessing in your life. Maybe this morning you're in one of those valleys between the miracles in your life. And you've had doubt creeping in that God even was interested in the situation that you found yourself in. Maybe it's in your finances or in your marriage with your children. Maybe it's a health issue. I invite you in these next few moments to just think about what is it that you're expecting from God? In the office this week, I was working on this message and I received a a phone call from one of our members and, and she had been involved in our acts of kindness and she had really caught a vision for getting involved in the life of someone and really trying to mentor them and bring them into, into a full faith for Christ. And she called me and she was giving me an update about a situation that she had asked about months ago, but she had found a woman who was in need of medical attention, a pretty severe medical situation that was going to end up being life-threatening if it wasn't dealt with, who hadn't really been serving God, had been going through a tough time in her life. She asked me if her women's group could take an offering, a special offering to try to offset the cost of what that medical procedure would be and and, and that small women's group raised over a thousand dollars and it was amazing and and she was telling me that and I, I was amazed at that number but then she started telling me what she'd already done you see she uh, had talked to a doctor and worked out the, the, the financing for the operation and the things that were going to be involved in and the surgery wasn't going to be a thousand dollars the surgery was over three thousand dollars after they had worked a deal with the doctor even 
And immediately when she started telling me that and she'd called me on the phone, I, I was thinking, oh my, she's in over her head and we're going to have to help her out. And we're, I mean, because this isn't a woman who, who would have that financial ability to do this. But this woman had gone ahead and guaranteed the surgery for this young woman she was trying to help. And so I was on the phone with her and I was, my, my natural side kicked in. I was trying to say, well, is, is this a payment that you're going to be able to help with? Or is this something you're going to be able to do? And she said, oh, I didn't call you to ask for money. And in the next couple of moments, God really worked on my heart because I was sitting here typing a message about the expectations of a supernatural God. And here was one of our church members calling me saying, oh, I didn't ask for money. God has told me that he's going to take care of this. And I have faith and expectation that it's coming in and I'm not worried about it. I was just calling you to tell you how good things were going and how this woman's life has been turned around. What are you expecting from God? Is your first reaction to say, oh, this, in the natural, this just can't happen. I fully expect that this woman will be calling me in a couple of weeks or months and she's gonna tell me how God moved in the situation to pay for the rest of that surgery. But on top of that, She's going to have a testimony of a woman's life who was saved. What are you expecting from God this morning? Somewhere along the way, we stop verbalizing our expectations. We stop stretching our faith to believe that God was going to do anything, that he had favor and intervention for us. If I had you state your beliefs this morning, you know the beliefs. You know that you would say God is a healer. God is a, a supernatural working God. That would be your public conviction. If I were to look a little deeper and dig a little deeper down in your heart, there, there's some private convictions. You would say, yes, it's in me. I believe that God can do that. But when we look at our core conviction, would God see a person living their life with the expectancy of his intervention in their life. Faith, it's a life of faith. Think about the power of a church where each of us came and each of us lived our life every week expecting supernatural things from God. Do you think it would change the temperature of our service? Maybe you're a person who has just come in today and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but the interesting statement that stuck out to you as I was talking were the words that John asked. And you're coming and something is drawing you. And your question is, are you the one Jesus or should I be expecting someone else? In a moment, when we have our altar time, we're gonna have an opportunity for you to respond as well with the people who are expecting things from God. But I just want you to know if that's you, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to respond today. Some of us, many of us in the room have accepted Christ many years ago. But I wonder if we've all been stretching and believing for God to do those supernatural things the way that we used to. Expectations are encouraged by God. Expectations rise 
when we reflect on the God moments in our life. And there's a blessing for those who are in the time between miracles when we hold on to unrealized expectations. 